Welcome to the Tribe Agile Podcast, a forum for agile enthusiasts and freelancers. I'm Chantal Janor, Tribe's Community Manager. No matter where you are in the world, the agile market is booming. Not only are there lots of great jobs available, but there's also a world of opportunity for people who want to stay independent. Our goal is to introduce you to the people who are making agile work for them, to grow small businesses, or to launch their own Agile coaching and training companies. Want to learn how to make Agile work for you? Stick with us for today's episode of the Tribe Agile Podcast. Today I talk with Michał Czubba in Poland. Michał is an Agile coach with over 10 years experience working in IT, business transformation and consultancy for several European partners. He has delivered implementation projects using lean agile transformations at scale. Previously, Michal was VP of projects and process manager at Credit Suisse, where he owned the IT delivery competence for the department and supported scrum and safe adoption. He created an environment for transparency, inspection and adaptation in all the delivery stages. Today, Michal is an agile coach with BEC Financial Technologies. We'll talk about how he went from studying economics to discovering Agile and some key learnings he has learned along his journey. We'll also talk about the challenges of setting up teams as mini startups and the success that he has had with that approach. Michal, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. So the past two years have been crazy with COVID and all the changes it has brought to our daily lives. And as we're transitioning into the post-COVID era, how have you been dealing with all of it? And is there anything that is key or paramount to how you live and work now? Sure. I would say that, first of all, I am amazed at how quickly people adapted to this new environment and to all the challenges that that we had to face. So this is quite amazing. We as human population are, are extraordinary comes to adapting to new circumstances. There are a few things to mention. And the first thing I would mention is, is regarding the mindset and the focus. Because when work entered our safe space, our living rooms and bedrooms, I believe all of us had difficulties to, to set goals on a daily basis and to pursue them relentlessly and, and hit those goals. So that was a quite interesting discovery because Things that were very natural for us in our professional setup stopped working in our everyday, you know, safe space setup. So getting this concept transferred to to another environment was quite interesting thing to do. And I believe many of us faced difficulties with that and over time had it had an opportunity to overcome that. So that was that was one nice thing that happened. Second nice thing that happened, a really great one, I would say is how the relationship between leadership and teams and customers changed over time. So what I observed for many of my clients is that leadership, people in leadership level kind of were forced to trust and to transfer empowerment to the teams. That's something that was postulated by agile community for a long time, actually. The circumstances forced leaders to do that. And it was a big change in many companies that happened. Also, clients had to look at every single penny, you know, from both sides before they they spend that. So they got much more involved, much closer to to the teams that were developing solutions for them. A shift already figured out prior to COVID times. Next thing, maybe not that positive, but interesting as well, 
is how we perceive our coworkers. In the past, when we were asking at the beginning of the discussion, hi, how are you? I think it was you know, just a natural thing to ask at the beginning of the conversation, but we didn't really pay too much attention to this question. And in COVID times, with many people struggling with loneliness, with multiple distractions, some of them with mental illnesses or symptoms of those, challenging times, right? In this situation, I believe seeing a human being in each of your coworkers and actually paying attention to answer to this question, how are you at the beginning of the conversation? Are you okay to, to speak right now? Are you ready for the discussion? Those questions are very relevant now. And the reason for that maybe wasn't that positive, but the fact that we actually started to care one for another within a company probably is a positive thing that I hope will stay with us in the long run. And the last thing to mention, something that I perceive as the biggest challenge in post-COVID world. When people were starting their professional careers as graduates after university times, normally they were you know, walking into the office, into physical space, and on top of getting onboarded to their job by some senior colleagues, they were getting as well some organizational tribal care from, from everyone around. And they were learning throughout those first few months or years how to plan their career, how to build relationships, how to work with the customers, how to how to be professional in your communication and body language and even how you get dressed. All those things were given to you by organization as, as a community. And mostly the whole generation that came into workplace in COVID times were deprived from that. So this is a gap that we have today on the market, that this whole generation needs a bit of a push of a gentle kind of paddle on the back to get them up to speed and be in a position to grow up as very efficient professionals in their life. So this is a challenge and hopefully it will get some more attention and will get properly served over time. So those are four things that come to my mind when I think about what changed. Wow, I completely agree with everything you've said and I truly also appreciate the holistic way in which you've answered that question. You know, a couple of things you said kind of resonated with me because working through COVID on a team, I also realized that how are you impact asking that question and really listening for the answer is just so important, especially for the persons who are living by themselves during COVID. So they're literally just trapped at home. And so when you said that it immediately brought that to mind, that memory of just being so concerned, especially about those persons who are living on their own. And then when you also went on to talk about how the onboarding process has looked differently for persons who are entering the workforce during COVID, it's so important that organizations bear that in mind, that in even if it is that they're continuing with the remote work, that they figure out how do they do a bit of hybrid, especially during that onboarding period to make sure that those new people entering the workforce are getting that support that they need, because it meant so much to us when we were joining the workforce too. So it has an impact and it makes a difference if it is that they're able to figure out the right balance to make, especially onboarding, something that's very impactful for new employees. So great, great, great points. I appreciate those. Thank you, Michal. So. There are over 1 million Agilists over the world and the number is increasingly growing. Can you share with us how you went from studying economics to discovering Agile and why did you make that change and how has it impacted you since then? Sure, sure. The easiest question for me, right? Because this is personal experience. As a matter of fact, I started with economics. Actually, I started with, with finance and graduated MA in, in finance. And then I graduated second MA in, in management because it turned out that finance didn't work as I expected. So when that happened, 
back around 2010, just post-subprime crisis times. Today, it's quite obvious that that the shift happened between CIO, so Chief Information Officer Tower, and CFO, so Chief Financial Officer Tower, and that one of them, the financial one, lost a lot of empowerment in, in post-subprime crisis time, and the other one kind of grew to power and got a lot of significance. So at the time it was just starting, it was becoming apparent that this change will happen and that if you want to have a very exciting career and good challenges and good opportunities and position yourself maybe for biggest chance of success in your career, joining forces with CIO Tower probably is, is a smart idea. At the time it was just starting, it was just blooming, so it was a great time to hop on. And that's exactly what I did. I merged financial knowledge with IT and I joined a company, consultancy company that was implementing solutions for banks and insurance companies. And what happened at the time, I joined as a business analyst and they were undergoing an agile transformation, which was absolutely a new thing at the time. They were just introducing Scrum to their development teams. So you, you can say that I'm the generation that was brought in agile mindsets, right? When I was joining the market, it was the thing. And I didn't really see any other way to deliver because it was present when I, I was stepping into the market. And very, very quickly, I realized that being a business analyst isn't as satisfying and as interesting to me as what Scrum Masters were doing. So I kind of looked at Scrum Masters as, as those guys that are doing really cool things and they are looking at organizational things and managing dependencies and making sure that people capacity is used to, to their full extent. So those were great concepts that were tied back to my management experience as well at the university. So I thought I want to do it. I want to kind of try it out. and. I was very, very lucky. I was very well positioned, I would say at the time in my company, because my company said, if you want to do it, if you want to try it out, just do it. We need Scrum Masters. So that's fortunate. And fairly quickly after that, in the same company, they extended the transformation beyond IT teams. They extended that to support teams, to finance, operations, HR, legal, to all of those. And they asked, are there any Scrum Masters who would like to help those guys in their transformation? And I said, that's the challenge that I want to hop on as well. Beautiful journey, uh, many challenges, many honest mistakes that I did due to being inexperienced at the time, but many people were inexperienced. It was a good challenge, a very tough road, a very bumpy road, but, but in the end, the transformation was quite successful. And I realized that's something that I really, truly enjoy and I want to do in my life. So that's how my career progressed for the next about 10 years after those events. And to your second question, did it change me in any way? Absolutely. I think that's probably vast majority of people who deal with agility on a daily basis will agree with me that at the very beginning of interaction with agility, it's not a very intuitive concept. I would say it's even counterintuitive in many ways. But once you embrace that, it becomes very natural to do things in principles that agility represents. So I would say it's way beyond my professional life today. It's uh, it's how I approach my hobbies, how I approach raising my child even, how I got prepared to this interview. I, I would say, you know, I was making some notes. Those got through seven iterations first, and then I re reiterated them further throughout some thinking process. That's how I approach things today. So yes, it was quite a journey that continues today, and it spreads across many surfaces of my life. Wow, so that's really lovely to hear. And I can also agree <laughs> with how transformative 
agile is to you as a person and just how naturally it becomes that you apply it to everything and every area of your life so easily because it's so simple. It kind of makes sense. And I also agree with how counterintuitive you felt it was initially because you're used to seeing things done a certain way. And so hearing something that's a little bit different, you're like, um, but we've always done it that way. So having to meet that mental switch is also something I can relate to. So thanks for sharing that with us. Your career has seen you working with a number of European companies, Michal. You've worked with companies in UK, Switzerland, Spain, Denmark, and so on. You've had a lot of success in your agile transformations by setting up teams as mini startups. How did you make that discovery? And what does that really look like? Sure. The discovery can be tied to 2012 paper by Spotify coaches, two of them. At the time, they explained a snapshot of how Spotify operated in 2011-2012 times and how they explained that say across multiple things that they mentioned it was stated that they think about their teams as mini startups that are cross-functional they have true empowerment they are independent they can make decisions about services and products that they own and this is exactly how they thought at the time in Spotify and I really like the concept and I reuse this concept in many times in many ways to make it work for me to use it as a pattern for transformations and to explain it further to teams and management boards across some initiatives that I was running was to define what does it mean ownership and how I approached this one was kind of backpedaling from sales process so Whenever I was involved in any RFI, RFP sales process where a customer was selecting a solution and a vendor that will deliver this solution, uh, I realized that there are four boxes that have to be ticked so the sale can be closed and be successful. And those four boxes were, number one, is the product really good? Good quality, serves our purpose, ticks all the boxes for us when it comes to what we are expecting from the product. Number two, do we believe that this vendor can implement it successfully, that they have knowledge, experience, they know how to organize, what competencies have to be involved when, so is it implementable? The third one is maintenance. Do we have faith that once it's implemented, it can run in our company for a long period of time and realize all the benefits that we assumed it will realize? And the last one, do we have faith that provider of this solution is a good partner for discussion. Are they true experts? Will they come up with very appealing roadmap for the product and will the product will get updated and, and live with us? So getting back to, to the question, right? I think about the teams and agility. I think that to have really successful teams and to have really successful agile implementation and unleashed potential within the teams, that's exactly what has to happen. You have to make sure that the team owns the product, owns developing that, implementing that, or at least defining how to implement it, owns maintenance and owns the roadmap. That means they have expertise that, that over time that they gain this industry knowledge, industry expertise to become a partner to discuss what the product is about on functional level and also to define its future. And only then it makes a lot of sense. And only then I believe you can truly unleash all the potential of him and of all the people within the team. Yep, so that's that's the idea. That's how I present that and that's how I set up transformations to make that happen or at least to get as close to that uh, vision, let's say, as possible. Very comprehensive and very clearly explained. I 
can really gravitate to what you've said as it pertains to the ownership. And that's where some organizations fail because they want to retain some of that power and that say in what is done, how it's done, etc., etc., instead of empowering the teams to do what needs to be done and take full ownership of that particular product. And along those lines, I want to segue into our next question, which asks you, you've been a part of a number of agile transformations and generally there are just a lot of people across the world that are doing these agile transformations and they're just checking the box. What is it that the people you're working with are trying to get out of agile? Why are they even trying to use agile at all? I would say the ultimate goal is always to win on the market, right? That's what companies try to do. They want to have brilliant teams delivering brilliant products and services to the customers. If there is any competition to beat this competition and, and be number one, that's what every company looks to achieve. Where the discussion starts, the discussion usually starts when someone with actual power within the company realizes that their competition is moving quicker, is, is getting their market, is getting their clients, and they are doing everything they believe right. They are looking at the marketplace, they're thinking, oh, maybe they have better people, let's hire more people, good experts with good knowledge and experience, and it doesn't work. Oh, so let's invest in infrastructure and in, let's invest in other things, and it doesn't work. So they they start to realize that maybe there's something wrong with the setup. Because if you have good infrastructure, good people, good platforms, you believe good work organization and you are still losing clients, what's wrong, right? That's where something is is triggered to start a conversation, what's wrong? And uh, then they reach out to multiple sources and one of them usually points them to agility. And when they start discussion with agile professionals, I believe what, what happens, at least that's what I do, is... I try to make them understand that maybe the problem is the organization. Uh, and it's very hard to hear when you say that to the customer. I realize that. But in many cases, uh, it's done through questions, right? I ask them, so what is your setup? How do you communicate? How do you set goals? How do you cooperate? What are the roles in your organization? And fairly quickly, in many cases, it, it becomes very apparent that they are still in the setup when professionals got promoted to managers, got promoted to directors, got promoted to board members. And they are quite convinced that if they went those three, four, five levels down, they would be able to do the work that people in their teams are doing and they actually would do it better. And it's not the case. I believe in the vast majority of situations, it's not the case in our setup today because many technologies that we are using today were not even present five, 10 years ago, 15 vast majority of them was not present. So so to shift this mindset, to explain to them that if you're thinking in those lines, there's a good chance that you're using 5% of the brain capacity within your company because you're assuming that people at the top level can make best decisions and best solutions and best prioritizations. And you know they can decide everything and this will be probably the best usage of the company resources. And that's not true. Maybe you can try at least on a sample, to use 100% of the capacity within your team, or, or at least 95. <laughs> that's a good scenario. So, so that's where the experiment starts. They usually they start to think, okay, so how would that look like? And this is where agility is introduced, I believe. This is where, where the entry point is to start discussing what happens if you trust your teams, that they are competent people. That's why you hire them. You're spending a lot of money to hire experienced professionals. Why are you not using their knowledge and their experience to give them problems and let them figure out the solutions? Just give them some boundaries, give them a well-formulated problem, 
and give them ownership to do all the things that I mentioned in the previous question, right? So truly be responsible for the service all the way to, to the last point, which is being responsible for its roadmap. Until you, till you give this trust to people, till you fully empower teams to actually be owners, this potential will not get unleashed. Because even if you give them small subsets of this empowerment, that's not the case. Till the team truly believes that they are empowered, that they are responsible for understanding the market and talking to the customer and serving the product uh, on maintenance and ongoing basis to also make decisions about the future of the product and the service, it's not going to push them to, to the limit. It's not going to push them to actually start getting involved in the industry, reading the press, checking the news on a weekly basis, daily basis, you know, reaching out into, into what's happening in the area of their product. So yes, that's, that's what's happening. As I said, the ultimate goal is to win on the market, but the journey starts with someone realizing that maybe using 5% of the capacity within our company when it comes to brain power isn't as good as using 1985. I appreciate that response because I think you've set a good foundation for what our next question is going to be. As you've seen organizations win at agile transformation, right? Eventually, some companies get very curious about their agile maturity. What are some of the tools that you've used and how have you decided which tool is most appropriate for this particular organization? Sure. Uh, when this discussion starts, and it starts almost always, right? How to measure maturity. I strongly believe that it depends on three dimensions, three, three items really. One is good purpose to implement maturity model. Second one is the size of the company or the team that you, you are in, implementing that for and appetite for investment because it's always investment. If not money, then time. If not time, then money, but it's always an investment. So let's start with the purpose because uh, every time, almost every time, this discussion starts, uh, what I hear is we want to have maturity model that is linear. You have 10 steps and you can map each team to a step. And let's say this team is on step three. They want to be on step four. This is the gap. They get clear guidance how to get from here to here, and then they can get to the next one, next one, next one, till they are at the top. That assumes that agility and self-organization is a linear journey, that everyone is going through that in the same line, through the same steps in the same order. Perfectly not true. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it's quite intuitive when you explain that. When, when you point it out, uh, most people instantly realize that, yes, that makes a lot of sense that this is not true. That, that's just a wrong assumption. So much better, much better assumption for me, much better purpose for me to implement agility would be to create a heat map. Let's create a heat map. Let's look holistically at multiple areas, at multiple dimensions, and let's give teams a picture where they have strengths, when they have weaknesses, where they are quite okay and they don't have to spend too much time now, maybe in the future. And what's the benefit of creating a heat map rather than a maturity model? Benefit number one is that heat map can be used to identify systemic problems. If you measure in the same manner across multiple teams, you can see problems that are present in multiple teams at the same time. And usually that will help you as an organization to see, number one, problems that teams won't be able to resolve themselves because many of those problems on systemic layer will be requiring support from the organization as a whole. It will help you prioritize where to invest your money in platforms, in solutions, in training, and when it will bring the most benefit because there will be synergy. That's number one benefit. Number two benefit is that each team gets a snapshot 
that they can work with separately. So when we go down from organizational level to team level, teams have something tangible that they can use. And benefit number three, if you're using that consistently, you get progression, right? You get uh, measurement to measurement to measurement, time after time after time, snapshots that you can compare and see how the situation is changing. So that's nice. Now to, to what tools to select. That's a tricky one. And now the, those two other things that I mentioned come into play, right? The size and appetite for investment. No matter what is the size and appetite for investment, although I would say start small. Start with an increment, right, <laughs> that, that you can look into. Try to merge something that is subjective when you are asking people how they feel and you have something objective, so measurements that are taken from, from numbers. And today with task tracking tools, we have tons of them. I think pretty much everyone uses now something. Usually those tools have reporting that can tell you cycle time, lead time, burn down charts, few things. Select some that are important for your company Combine that with subjective things like Spotify cards, where you are asking people about even simple things, a card with three levels of answers. Do you have cross-functional team? Does your team have all the competence needed to perform the job that you are assigned to or you, you take in upon yourself? Yes, no, absolutely not, right? And if you can combine those two pictures and do it consistently across multiple teams and you can do it consistently over time, that will give you really good setup to to progress. And if you want to go crazy with investing time and effort, and that's sometimes very positive. If you really want to invest into getting better, because you believe that this would give you a lot of benefit and you have a really good business case for that, there are so many models like uh, Google Dora Metrics. There is a German model called Agile Fluency that I really enjoy. Those, those are quite smart people thinking about how to divide agility into certain areas and how to ask really good questions to map that. And there is, for example, Skate Agile Framework that has very robust, good questionnaires. If you try to implement all of them at once, that would be a huge effort, but you can go one by one and work with them in a systematic manner, probably fairly heavy when it comes to investment, but also very, very insightful. So if there is good appetite and good business case for that, that might be a good solution, good investment. Thank you so much for that response, because I think you've given us a fair balance between things that are light on investment or capital investment and there are things that are can be costly but they also will bring good return with your experience as a consultant and a permanent employee you've seen a lot of agile transformations what would you say are key to successful agile transformations i would say first of all that agile transformation isn't that specific i would say it's a change it's an organizational change and there are plenty of good models, how to run and how to be successful in organizational change. So there are some things that will be common across any change and I will relate to that. My experience is that there are five things that came to my mind when I was preparing for our talk today uh, and I thought it through really diligently. So number one thing that really has to be nailed down before you even step into transformation is making sure that, that leadership truly understands what we are trying to achieve, that understands benefits, that understands costs, that understands risks, and, and understands not only the concept, but also the spirit and principles behind agility. Why that's that is important? Because transformation won't be successful unless in the lead you have people who on a factual basis understand it and support that, and on 
deep emotional, you know, their personal level believe that this is a good step. That will prevent them from backpedaling or falling back when we have first challenges, that they will truly support it and they will be unanimous when it comes to to being kind of a communication layer for whole company asking well maybe we will deviate a bit maybe we will just cross out this principle and deal with if the leadership is knowledgeable and aware and fully supports the idea they will be a monolith that in communication makes the difference in the in the transformation itself that was number one absolute prerequisite number two would be good understanding of value streams Ideally, all of them, because you have to understand how the value flows through your company to customers. You, un- you have to understand who are your customers and how value flows through the company to them, because the Azure transformation will be organized around those value streams. At the beginning, you can select some of them, but without understanding those that you selected, you cannot start the transformation. That's another prerequisite. Then when we actually start working, start changing people and patterns and and how they operate the actual work starts right and to, to make it successful i think it's very very important to understand as is picture so to understand what people are doing today how their career progresses what are their aims how they are being assessed and tie transformation milestones with people results achievements that they believe are important if you cannot do that then i would say you have really small chances for the transformation to be successful because people have their aims on a daily basis and if they believe that milestones of the transformation are supporting their aims and boosting them in their career they will do everything to support that if that will be counterproductive to their career there is a good chance that they will resist so making sure that you know you structure the transformation in line with how companies is moving forwards uh, that's that's quite important. Number four would be try to get people who who did that in the past. It's not an easy change. None change is easy, and this is I would say triple complicated because as I mentioned in the past, it's counterintuitive for multiple reasons and not simple to fall into into this new mindset. And also, it is not easy for pretty much every every layer of the company because. Management people will feel very uncomfortable. Professionals will feel very uncomfortable. New roles that will be created will feel extremely uncomfortable <laughs> with with what they have to do, and 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 that's a, that's a massive challenge. You're making everyone in the company uncomfortable with what's happening and what they have to do today. Some of them lose empowerment. Some of them get empowerment that they never asked for, but they have to live with. Some people won't survive that. Some of them will leave the company probably you will have to bring some more people in massive painful change if you can get professionals who went through that and have good experiences patterns frameworks that can support you to minimize this pain and assure that afterwards you still have company to run that is way better set up for success i would say this is a reasonable investment to make sure that the company won't bleed out but actually company will go through tough times for a short period of time and get you know boosted uh, to a very quick pace just after that and hopefully with much better motivated people good and last thing to to mention is consistency be consistent in the principles that you are introducing to your teams don't negotiate don't fall back don't cross out anything unless there is a really really good reason be consistent in communication be consistent in assumptions be consistent in behavior throughout the transformation and after the transformation 
this is how you get a permanent change that stays with the company in the long run. So yes, inspect, adapt as you go, have a roadmap, deviate this roadmap to make sure that it's it fits the reality. But when it comes to fundamental principles that we agree on as a contract with a company when we enter the transformation, try to set them in stone and be very, very consistent in communication when it comes to them. So just to quickly recap, good leadership, good understanding of value streams, aligning people targets, having professionals who went through that and can soften the pain and being very, very consistent across all these stages. That would be my recipe. Yeah, your recipe sounds very good. And I love the way you reiterated that final point of just being consistent and holding fast, especially when things seem to feel like it's not going as planned. It may just mean it's an opportunity for you to make another change to see if you can affect the result you're trying to get, but remain consistent to your behaviors and your principles so that you can get the rewards that you are really looking for. So thank you so much for sharing your insights on what you've seen worked and what you hold fast to, even in your day-to-day work as well. So thank you so much for sharing that, Michal. Sure. So I know you're a very busy person and I really appreciate you spending time with us today. So to wrap things up, I'd just like to ask, What's next for you? What can we look out for that's coming from Michal? Two things, really. I think number one, I have a stockpile of notes and, and you know, <laughs> items, experiences that, that I want to organize in something meaningful. And what, what I did recently is, is review multiple platforms and I selected LinkedIn as my platform of choice to share my experiences. So if this conversation is anyhow interesting for the recipients i highly recommend to have a look at my linkedin and i can assure you that very shortly there will be some updates some some things that i will share when it comes to good practices and good thinking processes that i had throughout last few years so that's one thing second thing is my cooperation with Sky Agile Framework. That's an organization that i treat as the best agile encyclopedia on the market right now they certify, they have their framework, but also if you go to their page and navigate through that, it's pretty much like Agile Wikipedia, which I find extremely, extremely useful because even if you're not following SAFE as a, as a framework of choice, whatever problems you have with scaling agility, there is a good chance that they have an article, a best practice, a graphic that, that will be helpful to have a starting point for to, to resolve your problem. So that's really great. And that's why I, I got certified as an SPC. I'm a trainer and now I want to do further enablements to kind of broaden the spectrum of trainings that, that I can perform as a trainer. So this is another thing that I plan for myself in the next months. I love it. So I, I just want to ask you to keep in touch with us so that we can help you in any way we can to broaden the reach of the things that you're trying to accomplish for yourself. If people want to know more, how do they follow you on LinkedIn? It would be mm-hmm. linkedin.com slash I-N slash M-I-C-H-A-L-C-Z-U-B. That's it. That's how you find me. Love it. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us, Mihao. We wish you all the best and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Anytime. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to the next opportunity already. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I hope this conversation inspired you. If it did, hit the subscribe button. 
Share this with your network and the people who think like you do. Together, we will build the tribe of the future. Once per month, we will be featuring tribe members who have interesting stories to tell. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and to claim your free membership on tribeagile.com for member-only exclusives. I'm Chantal Janor. See you next time.